it was a difficult decision because it not only affected me, it affected the 15 other people who were a part of this. It affected some hires. I had to let go of some people because their jobs became obsolete. And it was like taking the biggest shower in disappointment and it was not fun. And that brought up a lot of mindset stuff just about like, should I just stop? Should I just go work at Starbucks? Like, is this the end of the road for me? And that comes a lot of times with pivots, um, the easy ones and the hard ones. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to a winter refresh of episode 63 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Jordan Gill. Jordan is the founder and CEO of Systems Saved Me, where she helps overworked one-woman businesses create processes that save time, streamline their workflows, and save their sanity. When Jordan first launched her business, she decided the best way to land her dream clients was to attend conferences. In 2017, she attended over 30 events where she met referral partners that continue to send her clients to this day. During our conversation, Jordan takes us on her journey through the 25 iterations it took to create the version of her company she runs today. She's a wealth of knowledge, not only because she has experimented a lot, but also because as a speed reader who loves to read, she has read quite a few books. In the second half of our conversation, Jordan shares all the tips she would recommend for new solopreneurs to streamline their businesses. Before we hear the rest of Jordan's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Jordan's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with the founder and CEO of System Saved Me, Jordan Gill. Jordan Gill, welcome to She's Off-Script. Thank you for being here. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm super, super excited to just geek out on all my systems goodness. So I, I'm ready. <laughs> oh, same here. When I first came across System Saved Me, I felt like, oh my gosh, she understands me because my background is in operations. And so to cross over into the startup entrepreneurial world and see someone doing operations, I was just like, okay, I need to get her on. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I think, you know, there's so many people who do ops in, you know, traditional corporate or even in their schooling. And then just like, you know, they go in a different direction with their business. And sometimes, you know, you can actually incorporate you know, it may not be you're teaching ops like I am, but like embrace the fact that you're a systematic person, like don't throw it away. (laughs) I know. And so for any of our listeners who haven't heard of you or come across Systems Save Me, could you share who you are and what you do? Absolutely. I am Jordan Gill, founder of Systems Save Me, and I've been in business just shy of four years. Uh, I've been in kind of online marketing industry for about six, so I have seen it all, it feels like. And I specifically help with overworked one-woman shows become streamlined solopreneurs because there's nothing like trying to be the CEO, the CMO, the COO, the director of ops, the director of marketing, the director... like. Is too much. So I really, really hone in on, you know, how you can have a simplified business model and therefore then having simplified systems through like cutting out, trimming the fat and really focusing on what gets you results in your business. 
Ooh, I love that because that is one of the biggest things I want to focus on during our conversation today is how can we get streamlined from the outset as we're starting our businesses. But before we get there, um, I know that you studied journalism and then went into nonprofit. But what I find interesting is that you then transitioned to working for an entrepreneur and then became an entrepreneur yourself. So I'm curious, what about your upbringing made you comfortable with going the entrepreneurial route? Yeah, such a great question. I think that it probably started at birth, literally, maybe TMI, but uh, I was due, uh, obviously, to come out into the world. And it took me two weeks to come out. And the day that they actually had decided they were going to induce, I came the day before. So my mom was like, you're on your own timing. I knew from that moment on, it was just going to be special. So I I think that I've always, I, I just, as time has gone on, I think I've really honed in with being able to listen to my inner knowing and that, you know, throughout my entire, you know, career journey and, and then entrepreneurial journey, I think that's really where I'm able to ground myself and not get caught up in all of the shininess and all of the things to try. I think that doing the work of knowing who I am has helped be like, oh, this shiny thing is out here and it's new and it should be fun to try. But if I actually think about how I operate and what makes me happy and what fulfills me, that actually doesn't fit with that. So I'm just going to go ahead and let it pass. Even though if I jump on the bandwagon, it's going to be super fun. Uh, But when you are able to pretty early on um, in your journey, really know who you are. And that's through personality assessments. That's through therapy for me. Uh, That's through having conversations with friends and family of just really, truly understanding how you operate, your mode of operandi, uh, then that's going to serve you the most. So I, I think, you know, yes, since birth, I've kind of been a little bit of a rebel in that sense, but I think it's also in different junctures, really getting to know myself through, again, personality assessments, therapy, all the things. So I love that you were able to first take that intermediate step of working for a pretty well-known entrepreneur yeah. before then going out on your own. Could you talk to us about the value of that experience in your journey? Totally. That was where I actually understood that I am an operationally minded person. Again, it's funny. I have an inner knowing of things that I'm strong at. And then sometimes there's almost, I don't listen. (laughs) And then, you know, someone else has to say it for me to be like, oh yeah, like that's what that means. So That's a running joke between my husband and I. He's just like, you only ever listen when someone else says it, but I've been saying X, Y, Z for years. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we're the same. Uh, so she, you know, I came into her business and was her head of content, which makes sense with my journalism background. Uh, so I was basically the songwriter to her Beyonce. And I would come up with all of her content scripts, webinar scripts, all of that. And she would read them and go and sell and make millions. So at a certain point, she, I think it was about a year in of my two years with her. She was like, do you just like have systems for everything? Is that just how you are? And I was like, I mean, yeah, like everybody has systems, right? Like this is how everybody is. (laughs) She's like, no, this this is not how everybody is. And so then she really was like fine tuning and realizing that that is 
my, at the time, I think it was my zone of genius and, and still is in some capacity if you've read The Big Leap, but I actually think it's my zone of excellence, which is just one level below genius. And I think my zone of genius is actually connecting and building and nurturing relationships. And so, but at the time I was like, oh, like that's my thing. And so then she had me go around to the different departments in her business. It was an eight figure business, online business. And I would go around and I would create the processes for them. And then I would bring on, um, hire and onboard and train the person to maintain it because I'm not a maintainer. Uh, I am great at creating operations, the frameworks, the structures, get, you know, get me all in there. And then once you're like, okay, do this like every day, every week, every month, monotony, monotony, I'm out. Like I can't, that's too much for me. So, uh, so I learned a really great skill working for her. And then I was like, oh, I probably could like take this out and do this for other people. And it kind of came in a weird way because I pretty much just like gave six, six weeks notice and like bounced. Uh, because for me, it was again, listening to the inner knowing. And for me, that's God. And like taking an extreme leap of faith um, in that arena. So I, I get it. But again, she, she specifically helped me really hone in in a skill that now is just like how my brain works. Mm. So now you've decided I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to start my own company. How did you figure out how you're going to package the skill that she identified in yourself to now make money and a living off of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a single young young pup uh, back then. And I, you know, I recognize that most people in entrepreneurship, it's like, oh, you let go and you, you know, live in a dentist office basement and eat ramen, which I'm like celiac. So that basically would kill me. And like, <laughs> it was going to be this whole thing. And I was like, ready for it. I was like, stakes in the ground. And then it's funny how things work just when you're in flow. And, you know, when I gave my six weeks notice um, at my position, I had no website, I had no name, I had no Instagram, even personally, like, none of this was a thing. So I was like, okay, this is, this is a lot. I had like three grand in my savings, which was like, I don't know, going to help me survive for like a month and a half, two months. So I was like, we got to get something together. So for me, I really looked at, um, you know, for the two years I worked with her, I would go to events and again, I work for somebody, so I'm not really searching for clients or anything like that. So I'm just like warm and connecting with people and I think we underestimate how much other people love to help. And I kind of was like, well, I'm in this bind and, you know, I could try and like build an Instagram following or do these other things that everybody else is doing. But like, what if I could just go to people who I know potentially know my clients and see if they know anyone who is needing this particular skill. And that's what I did. And I was able to secure four clients um, and making around $12,000 a month recurring uh, doing this skill. And it's, it's so fascinating to like think back and look at that time because I was like, I was so naive. Like, I don't even know who I thought I was. I just like, mm, this is how much, you know, I'm worth like pay me three, three, $3,500 a month for 10 hours a week. And I'm just going to bust through this, yada, yada. 
And, you know, no one really told me how to package my offer. I didn't really, I didn't even really look at that stuff. I just was like, this is what I'm going to try to sell. And if I sell it, great. And if not, I'm going to tweak it and sell it a different way. So it was crazy. I feel like I have to have us pause here and digest this. (laughs) Totally. So you went from knowing zero as far as what you wanted to sell to then casting out did you just send out an email and say, hi, friends, this is what I'm doing now. Send me clients or what yeah, did you do? Basically, uh, I would, for the most part, again, I really like intimate relationships. That's super important to me. And so, you know, I would get people's phone numbers when we were at events and stuff. And so it honestly was text message. So probably like, again, my naivete just kind of was whatever. And I was just like, hey, like, I know that we went back in whatever... A year ago or something. And right now I'm about to go out on my own. Yay. Uh, and I'm looking to help clients in this way. So if you know any of anybody and you want to do an intro, I would super appreciate it. And that's the thing is there's something also about, especially when you're taking a big leap of faith that everyone can relate to. So then they're like, yes, like we want you to win. Like here's some people. And so then I would get on sales calls with them, not knowing anything about sales, uh, which was my first big investment then uh, in business was a sales coach because I was like, I feel like I just got lucky. Um, but yeah, so I then just would sell and and I went off and did that for a little while. And it was, you know, I had an email address, an LLC, and a bank account. I, didn't, I still didn't even have a website. No one could look up anything about me really besides my LinkedIn, which was like super old. Um, so to think that, Honestly, in my like m- biggest moment of like deficit and just like I'm jumping off this cliff, it only took me to get the sale. And I think there's something to be said about that. And when we think we need all of the shiny stuff, like I need the best brand photos, I need the best website, I need the cute font, I need t-shirts with my stuff on it, like all I had back then was me, like just me and a gap tee and maybe a sweatshirt, probably. Uh, just knowing that I can help support people in this way, that's all you really need. It's like, what problem are you solving and how can you best communicate that in the sales conversation or in other, in other areas as well? So making $12,500 a month on yeah. a recurring basis sounds like you have a maid. Yeah. So... <laughs> I know this I know this happens, right? I know this right. happens where your initial iteration sounds amazing because that's yeah. the first time you're doing it. And then you start to feel that discomfort where you're like, mm-hmm. is this really what I want to do? So how did that discomfort and push to the next level show up for you? Oh yeah, that showed up like five months later. So it didn't even oh, take wow. that long. Uh, <laughs> so um, again, this is where I understood from my perspective of working with the entrepreneur for a year doing the specific, um, you know, going in, hiring and and bringing on somebody else to maintain it came into play because it really, it was September, 2016. I remember I call it Launchmageddon and it was where three out of my four clients were doing six figures of launching. Like I was working for, a lot of like bigger named entrepreneurs on their teams and like they were not small launches they were massive launches with 
Facebook ads and like six figures in Facebook ads, six figures in revenue and prof- like profit. It was just like, all right, like this is serious. And to do that with three out of the four of your clients in one single month hmm. is like, it's crazy. Like it is... Launchmageddon. Yeah. Now you see why it's called that. So that was when I knew like, I do not want to be a maintainer. I do not want to be involved with these crazy launches with like just all of this buildup. Like that's not even... That's not comfortable for me. So I basically was like, how much can I live off of? And I got rid of two clients immediately. One client another like month or two later and then the last client another month or two later. So I was just like, let me just get on out of here and be done with this. And that's also when I hired a sales coach. So in the moments of like me not making as much money, I'm also like, I'm going to spend like the most I've ever spent uh, on somebody. I think it was like 12 grand uh, for a six month container with a sales coach. And that was a great investment for me. Because I was going from having to sell, you know, me maintaining, and that's a lot easier to sell. And then I was, again, she was like, you know, what would be like your dream offer? And I was like, "Mm, I would work for somebody for like, you know, maybe four, three or four hours in a day and make like 3K. She's like, great, that's what you're gonna sell. And I was like, "Um, yeah, why not start with a dream? Why not start with a dream? Right. I was like, you're insane lady. Uh, but I'm glad that she gave me the push that she did because about a month after I decided that was when I had gotten my first client actually from my best friend since I was two, who literally, I don't think even knows or understands what I do. Okay. Like, and I was, that was again, like another moment of just like, you know, you think that you have to have like the most seductive and clear clear messaging, but like, she has no idea what it is that I do. Like if she were to guess, she's like tinkers on the internet. So somehow something I had said just in passing and talking as friends connected with her. She heard it then from someone else she knew and was like, I think you're supposed to talk to Jordan. And she became my first client. And that's then when the book, you know, got rolling up again. And I think, you know, the mindset shift you have to make from like, okay, I'm charging 3,500 a month for like 40 hours of a month, mm-hmm. I'm now asking somebody to charge, to invest $3,000 for four hours total. Like, my, like brain exploding, all of the things. And again, I think sometimes you kind of have to be a little naive. I don't think that it's like you have to know all of the things that work. Um, I think that experimenting is beautiful. And I think that if you don't try, you won't know. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to shoot for the stars. And if like, it's a total fail, cool. It's actually just like feedback. You just can like take that and move on to the next offer. So I, I think that for me, it was like a really disastrous month that then kind of, you know, it was great money wise, um, obviously still with still making the 12.5, but I was miserable. And I think even people are like, well, how can you be miserable making 12 grand a month? Like you can be miserable. Money isn't everything. It really is not. Yeah. And you really don't want to set up a business that now you become a captive of. 
Yes. Right? You want to feel like this business is a tool that you're using to build your legacy and make impact or impact others totally. as opposed to now I'm just like a slave to this business and tied to my desk all the time. Yeah. But which is something that you help with as far as systems save me. But um, yeah. before we get there, I also want to understand, fast forward to today, what is your business model like? And yes. um, what is the what's the difference as far as revenue goes? Totally. So I, when I talk about experimentation, I have tried 25 different business offers, two memberships, and two other businesses in, in their entirety. And so like, if you're thinking that you've tried a lot of stuff, like that's across, you know, almost four years, but still that's a lot of stuff. Uh, I would say technically like that's over three years. So that's a lot of change. That's a lot of experimentation that was necessary. Uh, some of it hurt a little more than others, but I, you know, the thing that has stood the test of time for me has been my intensives. And so, like I said, it was four hours for three grand. Now I've changed it into a six hour intensive for 5k. Um, and that's really one of the main offers, like that's where the bulk of my income and revenue comes from. And I have like a few smaller offers and stuff like that, uh, just to help people with their inbox or file management or kind of just all the things they're managing in their business. And so, but that's probably, I don't know, 10 to 20% of my income while the 80 comes from about the consulting. So I do intensives and I guess VIP weekends I do as well. So those are two and a half days for 7,500. Um, and so, and yes, people pay it. And yes, they come down to Dallas where I live and I get to host them and we have really good food. And it's like, we're like, this was actually really fun. And they're totally exhausted at the end of it because we're doing <laughs> systems work, right? Which is mm-hmm. a lot of times I'm working with visionaries who so that's not their like comfort zone. And so I'm like, how can I create an environment that actually is exciting to them and mm-hmm. will help them overcome some of like the sticking points that systems can have for them. So, so that's really it. Like I just, I sell intensives and VIP weekends and then some, a few small bites like on the interwebs. I think taking a step back, there's a lot to be learned from your pivots. Oh gosh. So yeah. <laughs> talk to me about You've done it 25 different times. So at what point did you know that something here isn't going right? Was it just as easy as I just wasn't making any money? You know, it was crickets. Or what else tipped you off to the fact that it's time to pivot? And then how do you navigate that pivot? Because your audience is probably like, oh, here goes Jordan. She's doing something else yet yet again, right? So we kind of get that sense of that internal speak that makes us afraid to show people mm-hmm. that we've changed our mind and that could be our Achilles heel. So how did you navigate that? Totally. You know, and I forgot to add, I changed my name three times. So oh, wow. Okay. Literally. So now that's like a marketing nightmare. <laughs> right. Just, just stick with a name. And granted, my first name was awful. I just like did the whole like thesaurus alliteration, put it together. It was personalized procedures. It sounded like a medical device company. Like it was bad. So again, you guys, if you guys like have a much cuter name and like I had an ugly name and made $12,500 a month, like go be great. Like you don't need the most perfect name to make money. So, you know, all of the pivots, I think for me, it was important to have the steady stream of income from my intensives, from my VIP weekends eventually. And so that allowed me 
to have the time and money capital to play. And I felt like when I first started my business, I didn't really experiment um, because I just got my couple clients and kind of moved along and, you know, did some stuff. And I think the first time I started experimenting was probably a year later. And it was just more out of, okay, like I have all of this space. And at that point I did more travel or stuff like events, but for each of the pivots, I would say, yes, there were clear signs of like, girl, stop of like, you made one sale um, so one sale of like $67, so just be done. Uh, there were other signs, and I think the most painful pivot, I would say, was recently uh, I had a template workshop, um, template like workflows, and I actually had... It was a big project, um, and it took about six months runway to like fully prepare a website, um, all the content, all of that stuff. So it was like basically the complete opposite of like <laughs> how my other stuff had been inspired. So, and I in, had incorporated other operations people to actually do the creation of the content. So then I'm having to like manage 15 people uh, to create these workflows and I'm having to, you know, hire tech people to come and do all this stuff. And it was, it was a lot. And it was, mm-hmm. um, something that I had available for about nine months. And there came a point where there was just so many tech issues, like for WordPress, if you build your website on WordPress and a plugin breaks or plugin updates, updates are almost worse than breaks because if it updates, then all the other plugins don't talk to it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, so then we create like a duct tape version and then I'm having to hire them to like redo it then when it all gets elevated. And so it was just, it was a nightmare and I was spending so much money on tech people. And I was like, this is not it. Like this is not Mm -hmm. in flow. This isn't of service. Like my point of creating the template workflow shop was to not only like make money and be great, but it also was to serve ops people who are so brilliant and so smart and be able to get them to have space on my platform. And I just realized nine months in that that wasn't happening. And I actually went to a conference and there was a guy speaking and he just was like, you know, there comes a moment with every idea at the end of the cycle where you have to decide, am I going to push through or am I going to move on? And I, I realized that I'm at the, that top part of the circle. Am I going to continue to go through this nightmare again for nine months, 12 months? Or am I going to stop? Am I going to stop mm-hmm. the bleeding? Am I going to stop the madness? And it was a difficult decision because it not only affected me, it affected the 15 other people who were a part of this. It affected some hires. I had to let go of some people because their jobs became obsolete. And it was like taking the biggest shower in disappointment and it was not fun. And Mm -hmm. that brought up a lot of mindset stuff just about like, should I just stop? Should I just go work at Starbucks? Like, is this the end of the road for me? And that comes a lot of times with pivots, um, Mm -hmm. the easy ones and the hard ones. So I think for me, it was it was realizing that, you know, I'm going to disappoint some people along the way. And a great mentor of mine, Caitlin Batcher, she says, you know, when you kind of the mindset mistakes, mindset traps that people have who haven't gone above 250K, which is pretty much where I've like plateaued in my business. 
is like, you're either going to say like, what if it doesn't work for me? Like I'm not good enough. Or what if I disappoint someone? Mm -hmm. And the biggest mindset trap that I had was what if I disappoint someone? And then, so I was like, I know exactly the conversations that I have to have. I know it's going to be difficult and painful and I'm going to hate every second of it. And after every valley, there's a peak. So just just ride through the valley and then go up to the next mountain. Like that's just how you got to think to that. Seriously, <laughs> a big amen to that because it comes it comes back around. It yeah. does. But there's something. This is like the business school geek in me. But there's something called a sunk cost fallacy, where mm. because of all the costs that you had sunk into that blood, sweat, and tears, money, hiring people, going back and forth, a lot of people say, "Well, let me keep going." right? Because it's going to turn around at some point when you know yeah. in your gut, this is not what I want to be doing yet. Here you are, here you are. sinking more money into it. And totally. so it's good that you kind of did that gut check and thought, what is preventing me from moving on from here? And then you kind of deal with yeah. that right away. Yeah. I knew there was a story in all those 25 different programs. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad we were able to, <laughs> I'm glad we were able to touch on that. But so now I want to move on to a little bit of a coaching segment for a lot of our audience who are new entrepreneurs or contemplating going full-time with their side hustles. I know you help more established businesses set up systems that are going to help them scale, save time and money, headache. So from the perspective of someone now going into a new business, what are those key systems and processes they need to have in place? from day one in order to save themselves a headache later on down the road? Yes. So I would say for the most part, when it comes to, you know, starting a business or thinking about starting a business, it really comes down to, I like to have systems that are client facing first, and then you can just keep, keep your little mess back here and you can always hire somebody to come sort that. But when it comes to creating systems that are client facing, and what I mean by that is, okay, you know, getting a scheduler, like Acuity is free, Calendly is free, there's a ton of free availability there, where someone, instead of going back and forth eight to 14 times to schedule a freaking call, don't put yourself or them through that anymore. And people are like, oh, but they love the, the you know, they feel Personal personalized. <laughs> Nobody in their right mind likes that. Nobody. I don't care who you talk to. Uh, so send them a scheduling link. Let them go and be great and find a time. And that way also time zones don't get messed up. All of that stuff. So that's, that's what I mean by client facing. Like Your client is going to experience that system. Uh, so things like your inbox and file management, like those can be a little messy at the beginning because you're the only one who's seen it. And yes, like you do want to feel streamlined and all of those sorts of things. However, client experience is what is going to get you the next client and the next client and the next client. Mm -hmm. And so again, client-facing systems like scheduling or um, how you onboard your clients. So if you work one-on-one -on -one, like services, then it'd be like contract invoicing and maybe even like an intake questionnaire. That should be really streamlined, really clean. Uh, please do not have your clients get sent a PDF contract that they have to print out and sign and then scan back and then say, I'm not doing it. I am not 
doing it. So make sure that you find something, you know, hello sign. I think you can send up to three contracts for free. Uh, so again, like there are ways to, you know, kind of in the moments where you're not making a ton of income, like you still can use systems. It doesn't have to be super expensive and don't try and do not try and go buy the most expensive version of whatever it is you're looking for. That's so unnecessary. You'll probably use like a half percent of it. So look for those ways that you can help with your client experience first, because that is how you get more clients, not, not the messy backend stuff. Like you can hire me or other people like me to come in and have a, you know, heyday in the back end of your business. Focus on getting your client facing stuff first. Client experience is everything, everything. So to me, and you can let me know if this isn't the case, that sounds like it's at odds with the fact that when you started, you didn't have a pretty shiny new website. That's part of client experience, is it not? Yes, it is. And I did have a scheduler um, in the sense of like, I had like a free acuity account for them to find a time that works for them. Um, and you know, once I started getting clients, I was like, well, let me get a hello sign or whatever. Like, and then you start to like get those things in place so that the touch points are there. And again, it doesn't have to be this grandiose opportunity, but I think that, you know, I had a a coming soon website for like a full year and made six figures. Please say like, that again. It said again. coming soon, whatever. See you later. For a full year. I had no intention to actually build out a website for that entire year. Just coming soon with a picture of me, the end. And you know, I think that when it comes to, you know, how people perceive you. That is more or less about like your tone and your warmth than it is like bright and shiny stuff. I think that people can read the intention that you have. And if people want to know more, then they should get on the phone with you. And that's really where you can seal the deal with the experience. Um, Mm. Again, I had like 90... That same year, I had like 90 days of content on repeat on Instagram. Didn't change a photo didn't change the hashtags being used. It just was the same tips. Every 90 days was the same tips. And again, made six figures because what was important was to show that I was consistent. It was not that I was having the most groundbreaking, like earth shattering content. My clients just wanted to see that I was consistent. Um, And so again, knowing who you're marketing to and what's important to them and making the buying decisions, what is their criteria? What are they judging me on? What are the things that are going to matter to them about working with me? And for some people, uh, I read this awesome book. I'm like a total like book voracious reader. And I read this book recently called Words That Change Minds. And it's awesome. It's like a buck 99 on Kindle. So if you have the Kindle app on your phone, totally go and buy it. Buck 99. So it helped me understand like, okay, some people are internally motivated and some some people are externally motivated. Externally motivated people want to see testimonials. They want to see case studies. They want to see, um, you know, outward, like other people are approving this person. And then internally motivated people are like, how is she going to help me with my goals? How is she going to help me with my KPIs? How am I going to feel about this? regardless of what's going on here. Mm. My high-end clients are internally motivated. They don't listen to my podcast. They don't go on my email list. They don't go and, you know, click around on my Instagram even really. 
Like they are straight internally motivated people. I need to talk to her and, and hear what I need to hear in order to move forward with her. I, I don't even, even on my intensive sales calls, they're not like, hey, can you send me a case study? Hey, can you send me, you know, testimonials? That never happens because they're internally motivated. So know how your people, what's important to your people and mm-hmm. move with that. Some people, the big website is maybe something that your clients need to see. Um, and so that would then require you to have whatever big shiny website, I suppose. I would challenge you on a little bit on that, but I think that you can still have a beautiful website experience. I have a single page website now. It's not coming soon, um, but it allows people to get you know some few nuggets if they need them. But if they want to get to know me, they're going to get on my Instagram um, or they're going to listen to my podcast or they're going to be referred to me. Like my high-end clients don't even go to my website. They just go into my email inbox, say, hey, or I actually got an Instagram DM from somebody who had listened to me on a guest podcast. And our and first message was, hey, Jordan, I want to do a VIP weekend with you, with my assistant. What are the next steps? Mm, I was like... Just from hearing you on the podcast. Yeah. But even, even deeper than that, one thing I don't think we've talked about that really impressed me about you is that in 2017, you attended 30 plus events in person <laughs> and that in-person events yeah. allowed you to really sell people. Talk yep. to us about that. Totally. Uh, I think that comes down to knowing how you sell best. And I sell best in conversation and community and connection. Connection is my biggest core value in business and in life. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, the internet's great. And what's like the quickest way you can connect with people in person? There's something about you can read all of their body language, like you hear their tone, you can see how they vibe with other people in the room. Like there's so much more context for people that they can trust you a lot quicker. So my goal, and I'm not saying you need to go to 30 plus events. I was a little bit, I have a very obsessive personality. So, you know, when I like do something, I like do it. Uh, so I would go to events where referral partners would um, attend or speak at. So referral partners being that they knew my clients were. So instead of going, trying to find my single clients one-on-one-on-one, I went to, okay, who are my clients talking to? Who are they hiring before me? And like, how can I then just work with the referral partner, give them a kickback of, so I would pay them whoever my uh, offerings were three grand at the time. So $300 kickback. And they just would send me clients and I would work with business coaches, marketing coaches, and social media coaches because they all knew who the messy people were. They all knew, you know, if somebody was asking them a question about how to streamline my client onboarding, they don't want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. They do not want to talk about that. However, they can extend their great client experience to me because they know that their clients are going to continue to get taken care of and they just get 300 bucks by sending an email. And that's really where I focused. And so I had referral partners sending me folks and that's how I was able to to have consistent um, clientele. Uh, Because again, with intensive business, you are on more sales calls. You're consistently getting one one day clients versus, you know, ongoing clients. You just keep having them forever. So yeah, for me, it was, okay, like what's the Jordan way of selling and how do I just like maximize that? So were there a lot of events? I guess I went to 30 plus. Were there a lot of events that would have been really cool to go to? Yeah. But were my referral partners there? No. So I'm only, I'm being so diligent and 
focused on what is getting me results. Let's mm-hmm. do that again and again and again and again and again. And just keep so doing what was, that. Because events are expensive. So what was your ROI? What was the return for all those events you invested in? Totally. They still are, they still are giving me an ROI. Like still to this day, I met somebody two years ago and she just bought an intensive. She was a referral partner of mine and now she's doing an intensive with me. So it's just, I don't even know at this point, um, to be quite honest, but what I was focused on was, okay, I moved around a lot growing up, which was a really big benefit now because I basically have friends everywhere. So I was able to say, okay, this conference is in LA. I have three friends in LA. I can stay there. Um, I had a Southwest, I guess, yeah, I still have it, Southwest credit card that um, I would get points for um, by using for business. And so then I would have enough points to pay for my flights. Um, And so I got really ninja and... Again, for my like food and stuff, I was able to keep that pretty lean and mean. I just would bring a lot of like bars and snacks. And then what my, I guess, strategy of like connecting with people would, I would curate dinners. Um, some of them I would pay for all of it. Some of them I wouldn't. It just kind of depended on the event type. But mm-hmm. everybody's hungry at the end of the event. The event a lot of times doesn't give you you know, really good recommendations or like go to Chili's and I'm like, Chili's is in every city. This is dumb. So the foodie in me was like, let me pick some really dope restaurant and then let me kind of cherry pick again who I think would be good referral partners for me, but also would really seem to enjoy a curated dinner environment. And I would invite them out and I would help, you know, usher the Ubers. And it honestly was all about just like connecting as humans and then naturally they're like, oh, well, what do you do? Like, I really like you. Mm-hmm. And this is what I do. And I'm, for the most part, I've always been the only operations person in the room. So if I'm talking to Karen and then she later talks to Stacy, Stacy's going to come around and be like, dude, Karen just told me you do ops. I was talking to her about it. I'm a mess. Or I know my clients are a mess. Like, can you help me? So there's a lot of strategic benefits um, to events that I think are a lot of times underutilized and people just go and sit and like consume the content. I could care less about the content. Like I am not there for the content. I'm there for the people and the people only. So that is that. I was recently having a conversation with a friend who wanted to go to this very beautifully hosted event. Quite frankly, looked great. But I didn't have any insight into who was going to be in attendance. And for me, I'm looking to meet people who I could build meaningful relationships with and who we could do business together or they can turn into clients. And so if I don't have any insight into that, uh, sorry, I'm I'm not going to invest the time or the money. 100%. That's how you should do it. Like, look at the people. If there's not like a Facebook group before, or there's not like past videos where you can kind of see the vibes of the people, or even what industry these people are from, or any of that, nope, not going. Because I don't know what kind of mixed bag. Because there were two events in that 30 that on it, one was extremely toxic. in the sense of who was in the room. And I didn't, I wasn't familiar with who was in that room. And I got back from that conference and I just like, it was supposed to be like a women's leadership situation. I was like, great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Women's leadership. And it ended up being, it was right after like the 2016 election. And there were just, was a lot of, um, a lot of anger emotions going on in the room. Um, mm. uh, and so it just became a lot of anger and sadness. And then I took that on myself, but then I was like, I'm not angry. I'm not sad. Like 
you know, like, what does this even mean? Like, why is this happening? And so you have to be very careful about your energy management. And, you know, not that I didn't have comments about 2016 election, but just like taking on everybody else's anger and and sadness was not (laughs) the way uh, to lead women into like Mm -hmm. their power. That's not how that works. So it was... Yeah, it was a really bad experience. Um, so, you know, going to 30 events, you know, you're going to come across a few that that weren't the best fit. So really be diligent about who's at the event, uh, industry perspective or whatnot. So that way you're not, not spending the time in the wrong rooms. Jordan, you've given us so many gems today. I feel like I could talk to you for three more hours, yeah. but... <laughs> We should let you go because I don't think anyone has time for a three-hour podcast. But, <laughs> but for anyone that's interested in going deeper with you and following you mm. online, where can they catch up with you? Absolutely. Instagram is my jam. I try to always have some good stories and whatever shenanigans I'm up to. Uh, so you can follow me at System Saved Me. And then on my one-page website that I mentioned before, you can find uh, some freebies and tools to help you in your journey um, as a solopreneur. Uh, so that's systemsamey.com, which is pretty easy. Uh, and that's pretty much it. I do have a podcast. Um, I have two technically. One, um, I have stopped recording for, but that's Systems Amy Podcast. And then I have a secret podcast called SOS, um, Save Our Sanity Podcast. And that one is uh, you have to give me your name and email for uh, in order to get the RSS feed URL to then just upload to Apple or wherever you're listening. And that's really just me. I have guests every so often, um, but it's really like behind the scenes of me, uh, updates about you know how, how what is it that I'm experimenting with and what my challenges have been or what great resource I just found, that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, so that's Save Our Sanity. And you can go to, I believe it's systemsaving.com slash SOS to sign up and get the link for that. Thank you so much again. We'll be yeah. checking for all those resources. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Off Script, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Off Script.com. See you on the next one.